Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. So back when you first got started in NYPD, yes. what was what was New York like then? Um, well, for me, you know, it was home. So it was always what I knew. Crime was was bad, but again, it's something that you're used to. You know, you know, there's areas that you don't go. There's areas that you do go. As a working guy, I was a construction worker. I worked all over the city and I really never had a problem with anybody. But uh, again, like I said, since the late 60s, early 70s, crime was murder in, in general, because when a lot of times when we talk about crime, you can you have to realize that bosses a lot of times can fudge numbers or change numbers. But one thing that you can't and the constant is always is homicides. And we go by those numbers, or I tend to go by those numbers, simply because you can't hide a body. So you can't change a, a, a felony robbery to a misdemeanor robbery. You see, you can't change a felony assault to, you can change rather, a felony robbery to a misdemeanor robbery and or a, a felony assault to a misdemeanor assault. And these are the games that will get played in the precinct and or in the court system. But you can't hide the bodies. You know, if people are being killed, they're killed and that's it. And so that's a very good way to, to, to check how crime is is happening in your city. And for us, like I said, I think it was 1969, the first time that it had broke a thousand. And then year after year, it crept up until, uh, you know, 2000, 2200, 2300 mark, which was in the 90s. And yeah, that's when I was working at that time. And for me, as far as work, you know, life, I lived in a decent neighborhood. I had a pretty good life. So it wasn't outside of, you know, my school years. I, crime was really not, you know, an issue for me overall, because you're aware of it. It's something that you're used to, sadly. But it was, the Bronx in particular was a wild place to work. There was a lot of crime, a lot of homicides. At that time, for instance, when I first started under the Things Administration, I want to say we had something like 68, 69 homicides in my precinct alone. And that was the 5-2 precinct, which was only about a mile wide and maybe two miles high, okay? Uh, The 4-6, which was right below me, was a rocking little precinct, okay? And they had, you know, over 90 homicides that year, all right? And now the 4-4, which was right below that, was one cited as the busiest precinct in the world, okay? And obviously that things were going nuts there too. But I always give credit to the 4-6 because the 4-6 was so small. It's basically one square mile, all right? And it was so small that, I mean, their numbers were astronomical. Now, during this time, once Giuliani, to get back to Giuliani, once he had taken over, you know, he slowly beat those, not slowly, you know, fairly rapidly. You figure in, in, within eight years, those numbers were now below 600, you know. So think about that just for a second, how you can go from, you know, 22, 2300 homicides to 600, you know, in such a short amount of time. That's because people are doing the job, you know. Yeah. And he allowed them to do, not allowed them to do their job. He made through, he made sure through Comstat, if you're familiar with that, it was a basically a way that they tracked all crime in New York City and made precinct commanders, you know, address their crimes on a monthly, then weekly basis. So they were able able to track things all the time. And it was really a great way to, I don't want to say force, but yes, force, you know, precincts, the police to do their job, you know, because they were able to track it and pinpoint things and, 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 and set up, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm losing, I'm getting older now, I'm losing my words, but uh, they were able to, to pinpoint trends. There you go. And, you know, quite often cut them off yeah. ahead of time. So yeah, it, well, was a, it was a great system. Everybody does that. You do that in business. You do that uh, everywhere. And it's like, 
And how do you know if how do you know if what you're doing is is succeeding or not? Well, you got to look mm-hmm. at the trends. You got to look at the data. And yes. if it's not working, then you got to change things. And that's that's one of the things that drives me crazy about our society today. It's like you know that things aren't working the way the way they are right now, and yet it doesn't seem like anybody's changing anything. All they're doing is basically, like you said, manipulating the numbers. Correct. And I'm I, I don't want to say fortunately, but like you said. The only thing you can't manipulate really is is the homicide because you know it's a you you have a dead body Correct. and drive by shootings and carjackings and rapes and and assaults all sorts of those I I guarantee those are skyrocketing because to Absolutely. me those are those are kind of the the indicators the leading indicators well, that the homicides are coming absolutely and when you, and when the, the sad part about that too and especially for people in more impoverished areas, okay, is they simply, they stopped reporting. They stopped reporting crimes because of, because of their, you know, their, their lack of trust in the police, because it is so much part of their life as it goes. So yes, your robberies, burglaries, rapes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all these crimes quite often, I mean, how many are, are half of them not reported, you know, are 70% not even reported because they don't bother picking up the phone call because this life is usual, you know? It's it really is a terrible, terrible situation. So, yeah, you do have to do the thing where you basically just, you know, go by the homicide rate because that doesn't change. Well, it's even worse than that, I think, because if if they're just letting them out, you know, it's like a revolving door. There's no no bail and things like that. Then they know if they report this guy for assault or anything else, then more than likely he's going to be back out on the street. Absolutely. And he's going to be pissed. And what's what's he going to do? The first thing he's going to do is come after me. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now with this with this thing, we have it in New York. I I guarantee they do it in Chicago and California and other ridiculous states where they're, you know, everything seems to be upside down. But part of what they're doing with bail reform is they're allowing to they're allowing the criminals to know, okay, all of the complainants information. They actually hand that over to the lawyers and to the criminals. So, mm-hmm. you, so you, so you know who it is that's, you know, you know where 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 the complainant lives. You, they hand over the address to them. It is so un- unbelievably upside down. That's crazy. It is. So it there's is. no more anonymous tips type thing. Well, well, not so much that there's there are anonymous tips, but once we get into the court situation, you see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? What once it goes to court, once it goes to trial, all of the the defendant, the rather the complainant's information is handed over to the uh, uh, defendant's counsel. All right. So they know everything. Mm. Wow. Absolutely yeah, that's exciting. Everything. So yeah. if you have a rape charge or something like that, then, yep. you know, I hear this, this poor woman is, is trying to do the right thing and get the, get a rapist off the street. And her personal information is getting put out there that I'm sure, I mean, this guy's got more than likely has friends. So, oh, that's insane. All right. Well, let's go back to the Giuliani years because that's that's when things actually worked. They, Most they, of your they, time they were, there as a detective, were you narcotics? What were you? I was predominantly narcotics. Yes. Um, most of my it had to do with the times in general. Most of my time in the police department, I worked narcotics. At first, in uh, in the precinct level, was I was on a SNU team, which is a street narcotics enforcement unit. And then from there, I actually went to anti crime, and then I did a little bit of time in a RIP, which is a robbery identification program. And then I joined the narcotics division. And at that time, actually, the Bronx Narcotics, probably is the same today, was the largest 
single command in New York City. It was a big, big command. And I don't know, we had probably, I want to say like 350, 380 guys just in Bronx Narcotics. Because again, business was so good, you know? And mm. uh, that's why my, the vast majority of my career was spent doing narcotics, yes. Narcotics work, narcotics-related work. Um, so give me an idea of what you went through every day. Mostly everything starts out with a buy and bust operation, which I'm sure you're familiar with that, where mm. we would have undercovers who would go out and, um, you know, do exactly that. They would buy drugs two, three times, four times, five times a night, whatever it is, and we would go out and immediately lock up the sellers. Then you take those sellers, all right, and you try to get more information out of them. And every once in a while, you can hook something, all right, and then get either a CI and or an undercover to actually uh, get make inroads into these different drug gangs. And that would be a case. And then a case, you know, you would build a case and work the case and see how far up you could climb to truly try to, you know, hammer some bad guys, you know. And, um, you know, that, that's, that could take sometimes, you know, weeks, sometimes months, you know, and you would build it up. The idea there and the problem there is, of course, how much money is the city willing to give you to go, you know. And then, of course, once, you know, drugs and, or, or guns and violence, you know, become part of the, the, the mix, well, then you got to lock people up. You can't let it go anymore, you know. And so, and that was, you know, it, it was good work. In fact, for just knowing how squad detectives work and, and, and squad detectives are your true detectives in the police department, kind of like if you remember the old uh, NYPD blue, sip of wits and that kind of thing, you know. I mean, a lot of those poor guys, you know, they can easily have 100 open cases, you know, that don't go away until you, you finish them up. And for us in narcotics, our cases are, you know, are they selling drugs or aren't they? That's how simple it is. And if they are, you do your best to lock them up, you know? So it was fairly simple work. Not when I say simple, it wasn't easy. It was very hard, very aggressive. And we locked up a lot of people, a lot of people back in those days. But it was... But well, when you I, say... Get... When... When you say lock lock somebody up, what would yes. what would a a drug dealer have to actually do to get locked up? I mean, a, a certain amount of drugs. What what would it take? You mean to actually to actually be put away? Mm -hmm. For us to lock them up, he just said, you know, that's just selling drugs. Bang, we lock you up that night. But to actually be put away in the courts, quite often the that, that's up to the judges, and it would depend on the the amount of drugs and or the amount of arrests. Okay, and or if any guns are involved. A lot of times we would actually try to intentionally buy guns off of drug dealers because judges don't like that. And they would get mad if there was, you know, we had made four or five buys and then added a gun to it. Well, now they know that, you know, violence and guns are, are mixed up in it. And so they, the judges take it more seriously. Back to, again, us not being part of law enforcement. It's up to the judges to enforce the laws, you know, kind of what we were talking about before. So... That being said, I think what you want to know is, yes, uh, you know, I've locked up guys, man, who have been locked up dozens of times, okay? And it's once they hit that fourth, fifth, sixth time, the judge starts taking it more seriously. Guys who have already done time and have, you know, maybe come back out, the judges, again, take it more seriously. But this quite often comes down to the judge. Again, you know, how serious does the judge take his, his, his job? Some take it very seriously, some don't. Some are, are quite literally bleeding hearts. And, you know, try to see it from the bad guy's eyes, which in some respect, and, and don't get me wrong when I say this, I can understand selling drugs. If you have nothing else going on in your life, I get it. You know, I don't understand sex crimes. I don't understand, you know, a lot of other things, but that's something that I can understand. You know, if you're poor and you're hungry and you, you want to make a few bucks, I get it, but it is illegal and we're going to get you, you know, 
But uh, I don't know if I answered your question there. I kind of went off. Uh, I, no, it's it's just bizarre. You know, I hear back again. I, I I'm a student of history. I I love reading about the past and then comparing it to where we are now. And then you know you can extrapolate a lot of there's there's a cause and effect that happens yeah. all the time and. And everything kind of goes in cycles. You know, you said in the 60s and 70s, even the 80s that led up to the worst part, which was the early 90s. And then, you know, everything was going crazy. And so the population finally demanded that something happen. Boom, they elect Rudy Giuliani. He comes in from the, what is that, the Manhattan DA's or the South Manhattan DA's office. And, you know, this guy has been putting away gangsters and all sorts of stuff. And so he's kind of a hard nose and he comes in. And he says, all right, cops, from now on, you are going to do your job. And if you're not doing your job, I'm going to get rid of you. And so, you know, he kind of, that kind of attitude comes down. And, you know, again, you look back at the, um, I I kind of compare Giuliani to like George Patton in the World War II. You know, Patton, he took over the second armor division and it it was in a shambles. It was just, it was pathetic. And, And he went in there and he started cracking the whip and, you know, if guys weren't at breakfast at a certain amount of time, then too bad. Mm-hmm. You were hungry and, you know, their boots had to be tied. You know, everything It's like if, what you're if saying you want to so- be a crack unit, you got to look like a crack unit. Absolutely. And yeah. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.